Welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. This podcast explores what it means to make life less difficult for each other and for ourselves. We share stories of struggles and successes because we believe sharing our stories eases the difficulty of life. I'm Lisa Tilstra, your host. Let's jump into today's conversation. My guest today is Sunny Watts. Sunny is an educator and theater practitioner. She's a creative designer, planner, organizer, teacher, and more. Being introduced to theater at a young age opened the doors to hope and healing for Sunny. She continues to offer those opportunities to others of all ages. I first met Sunny through her husband, Russ. We connected through the theme of storytelling. And Sunny has graciously shared not only her personal stories, but her knowledge about stories and storytelling with me. She has helped and allowed me to grow in this space, and I am deeply grateful. As Sunny shares her story here today, I'm so thankful for her vulnerability and strength, her courage and transparency, and her care and thoughtfulness. Sunny, thank you so much for sharing, and thank you for making the world a brighter and kinder place. Sunny, welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. Thank you, Lisa. I'm really excited to be here. I am thrilled to have you here. And we've talked about this idea off and on for, you know, it seems like a couple of months and we're finally here sitting down together. And um, what stands out to me, Sunny, is meeting you. I met you through your husband, Russ, who has been on the podcast a few times. And I remember the first time we met and it was through the connection of story and kind of just asking each other, well, what's your story? And that it's hard to even put into words the special space that was created in those first couple of times we connected and talked and was just like, all right, well, I mean, tell me who, who are you? What's your story? Um, so just really great memories of starting to connect with you around story. Mm, likewise, likewise. And it's that, you know, and it's such an interesting question too. It's like, you know, what's your story? Like, gosh, like, I don't know. Like, what story do you want? Mm-hmm. You want the story of my life? You want like, you know, so it's always interesting. Like what, what emerges from that? Yes. Yes. So we're going to see what emerges from our conversation today. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Love it. Jumping in, I I like to ask each of my guests this question of what the idea of making life less difficult means to you. So when you hear the quote that this work has evolved from by Marianne Evans, what do we live for if not to make life less difficult for each other? What does that mean to you? Mm, that's beautiful. I've never heard that quote before. So thank you for that. Mm. I was wondering where you got your name mm. for your podcast. Um, like the first thing that comes up is it's about lessening a burden for somebody else. It's about bringing kindness. It's about bringing a smile, helping somebody else to smile and to to treat themselves kindly. And thus we treat each other more kindly. I love what stands out to me most distinctly of the things that you identified is that they're so simple. And they cost us nothing to be kind, to share a smile, to be present with someone. 
and the fact that that can be directed outward towards others and also inward towards ourselves. And really it, it does, it, for me, it really gets to the heart of why the idea of making life less difficult is, is resonates so deeply for me, because I, I think about those times in life that are really difficult and no one can make them easy for us. And yet sometimes a small gesture can make it a little less difficult, less of a burden. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, uh, on one of the the brands of tea that I, I enjoy sometimes there's a, there's a little message on the tea bag. Yeah. It's like a you know, fortune cookie, a, mm-hmm. a tea, tea fortune. <laughs> um, and this one I, I put up on the refrigerator and it says the smile is a direct achievement. I love that. Um, and I know something that we've trying to be, be we've been trying to teach our kids. Um, and it's something that I, I find myself saying not all the time, but I've definitely said it many times, um, is be kind to yourself always. Mm. Right. Particularly in those moments where you're beating yourself up about X, Y, or Z, right. If there's just been a really difficult moment, be kind to yourself. It's a beautiful thing to be teaching your kids. I, for myself, was about 40 years old, I think, when I first learned about self-compassion and didn't even realize how unkind I had been to myself for decades. And I think it is, it just is incredibly valuable to teach that to our kids of being kind to ourselves, not saying those terrible things to ourselves that we would never say to anybody else <laughs> that we liked or even unliked. We don't, we don't even <laughs> say it to our enemies, right? But we would say it to ourselves. Um, it's crazy yes. how that happens. Yeah, we can be our we are our we are our own harshest critics. Yes, for sure. All right. Um, and and something else that we do periodically is we have kindness challenges. It's like a monthly calendar, and so each day there's a challenge for the kids and also for us, you know, hold the door for somebody, Mm. smile at somebody you haven't smiled at before, pick up a piece of trash that isn't yours, you know, whatever those small things are, and there's a million of them, um, just to help make the world a kinder, gentler place. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like the idea of it being a practice where we are intentional about it. We think about it and we look for ways to actively behave in a kind way towards others, towards ourselves. Yeah. So speaking of being kind to ourselves, I would love if you would share a little bit before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about your thoughts in preparation for this podcast. <laughs> and, and I think what your, your journey and your story, I think will resonate with so many. So I would just say what, what's it been like for you, particularly in the last couple of days as you've been preparing and thinking about, uh, we're going to have this podcast conversation. <laughs> yes. So I've been so nervous, um, which is like, which is silly on, um, uh, for lots of reasons. Um, one, because like, you're not a stranger, you're my friend, you know, and we're having a conversation. Um, another that I, I find to be a bit more ridiculous is, um, is that I, I teach storytelling, um, <laughs> And I, and I know in my heart of hearts that everybody has a story. We have 
many, many thousands of stories. Mm-hmm. I, I know that stories are how we connect. I know that stories are how we can understand each other. Through that understanding, we help to create a more empathetic world. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and yet, <laughs> and yet, I, you know, I've, I've listened to some of the episodes um, of, of your podcast. Um, and I feel like the, the people who have been speaking are like, are so dynamic and they're so well-spoken and they have these, like these unbelievable stories that they're sharing. And I found myself in these last couple of days, I'm like, well, like, I don't have anything like that to share, you know, like, I don't know what I have to share that, that would be of interest to anybody, you know, like I don't, how do I make life less difficult? I don't know. I, 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 I try to do right. And I, I try to be a good person. And like I mentioned, like help to lift the burden, um, and, and be kind and like, yeah, but that's not like, uh, like a- anybody could do that. Right. Like what's, what's so special about me? Like, okay. So yeah. So my parents got divorced. Um, there was a custody battle. Like there are millions of people who have had that experience, you know? So like, what what is it that I can share that is um, unique? And I I don't know that I have the answer for that. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that, and and partially because I hear this from many people when I might talk to them about the podcast or say, "Hey, you should be on my podcast," or "You should write a book." And people are like, "No, no, no, my story is not interesting. I don't have any stories to tell," and I mean, I am a firm believer like you, that everybody has amazing stories, many, 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 many stories to tell. Um, And yet in our, in our life, it's, well, it's my life. So it's not that interesting to me. And I end up thinking it's not going to be interesting to other people. And I I heard this, I guess this was from one of my guests uh, a few weeks ago who said, and he's not sure where he heard it. So I'm attributing the quote to to Chris Luth. Um, And that is the more specific and personal our stories, the more universal. Mm. And so when I hear you say, oh, well, my parents got divorced. There was a custody battle. Yeah, well, millions of people go through that. The first thought I have is millions of people go through that. And the way that our brains seem to be wired as humans, we go through these things and we think we're the only one and we feel alone. And we're like, nobody understands what I'm going through. Yeah. And, and it's partly why I do feel really passionate about telling the everyday, sometimes seemingly mundane stories, because there are thousands, millions of other people going through this. And yet, for whatever reason, the way our brains are wired up, we think, even in the pandemic, the last couple of years, there have been moments where I'm like, nobody gets it. I'm alone. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not. This is a global <laughs> situation. <laughs> Everybody gets it, Lisa. Get out of your own head and reach out to somebody and talk to somebody, right? <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's like the um, in in literature, in theater works. You know, there's the story of every man, right? Or like it's you know the reason why Catcher in the Rye is so popular, right? Like there's the mm-hmm. these stories of uh, that are that are so specific and yet so relatable. Mm-hmm. Right, and that those endure. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask they, you a question. They, okay, and I think they. Um, and I and I think they 
help people discover the meaning for themselves. Mm-hmm. So sorry, go ahead. No, I, I'm going to ask you a question and I'm just curious to see what, what comes up for you and where your mind takes you. When you think back on your life and you think about maybe one of the first times or an early time that you looked around and you thought, oh, wow, life is hard. This is harder than I thought it was going to be. When was that? So I think the first time I felt that, and I felt it many times. um, So my, my parents were divorced and and remarried uh, when I was quite young. So I don't, I don't actually have any memory of them together. Um, And they had joint custody. And for the first several, several years, I lived with my biological father um, and I would see my mom and my stepdad on the weekend, like every other weekend, every other holiday, every other summer. Um, and I remember on Sunday nights, them bringing me back to my father's house and holding my mom so tight, not wanting to let go, not wanting to breathe air that, that didn't smell like her. So I think, you know, and that happened twice a month. Um, or at the end of a holiday or at the end of the summer. Um, and I just, I like, I clung to her for dear life. Mm. What helped you? What helped you get through those times? What helped you be able to step away? Um, well, for (laughs) musical theater, (laughs) stories, stories helped me stories and music. Um, you know, there, at the time, um, one of the cassettes that I had was Annie, you know, the story of the orphan girl who ends up with this amazing family, right? Yeah. Um, and I remember going to go see that show with my mom and my stepdad mm. and being so amazed, like, holy cow, like, these are kids, you know, they are, they're my age, you know, and oh my gosh, look at what they're doing. And, um, and so that was kind of my hook into theater, uh, that has lasted until this very moment. Uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll surpass this moment, uh, as well, um, in my life. And I, I think one of the things that it, those stories really did for me, um, was, was a, it gave me a place to go, um, because I hated where I was, mm. um, and I, I did everything that I, I could in my six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven-year-old mind uh, to do, um, like, sleep in the southeastern corner of my bed because that was as close as I could get in my bed to where I wanted to be, mm. um, or the year when my mom was thirty-three making a wish at 333 and like it was an even super more like it was a really super special wish if I also did it when there was 33 seconds wow because of course right you get like <laughs> like it'll definitely come true then yeah yeah um <laughs> um and I think you know like listening to the music that she listened to um, and living in these stories and kind of 
sharing the the journey of these characters um, brought it, it was like it was my fantasy land and it brought me away from my reality um, and it brought me to a place where there was hope and there was joy mm-hmm. there's such power in that and I've it's interesting how kids, I mean, kids need a place where they can just be and create and imagine. And I've read a number of books that talk about theater and drama and improv that that can create spaces for such healing and belonging. And like you said, a place, just a place to go. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that was my um, you know, I, 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 I didn't have the words for it then. Um, but I, as I have been watching our children grow and seeing, um, some of the things that, that trigger me as a parent, um, and then kind of thinking back, okay, like, when did I feel like this before, mm. you know, and, um, and, and it goes back to around the same time. Um, and this idea of, uh, of not being heard mm. was, uh, is something that I remember from, from that, that time, uh, because I had a lawyer, I was in first grade and I had a lawyer, uh, who was representing me in court. And so I would meet with her, um, and she would, go, you know, in my stead, uh, because they didn't see it, you know, the reason for me to be in the courtroom with them, which I'm grateful for. Um, and I would have conversations with my mom afterwards. And my, my goal, uh, like my one goal was to go live with my mom and my stepdad. That's all that I wanted, um, more than anything in the world. And, I remember one day after court and speaking with her and she's like, yeah, you know, um, you know, it, it's okay if, if you don't want to live with us, like it, it's okay. Like you, you can live with your father if that's what you want. I was like, no, I don't want that at all. She's like, well, like, that's what your lawyer said today when, when we were in court. Um, and then like, you know, and then fast forward and like came to find out that my father had been like whining and dining her and whatever. And so she wow. was saying the things that he wanted her to say. And so this feeling of not being heard um, is is something that has, has triggered me in the past. Um, and I now understand where it's from. And I, I understand my journey better, um, those early introductions into theater and why I ended up studying theater and why it was such um, an important place for me to be was because I could be heard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really powerful. And I just have so much admiration for you as you describe that and the dots that you have connected back to those times in childhood and recognizing that they, they stay with us and they impact us in our adult lives in ways that <laughs> take us completely off guard sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I, I, in general, I'm really patient, um, and I, I definitely lead with my heart uh, in everything that I do, and so for 
for me, experiencing moments of like of extreme frustration is something new and it's strange. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I don't like how it feels. Um, and so it was important for me to understand where it came from. Um, and so, yeah, trying to think back as far as I could to when I first felt like that. And that brings me to that, that time. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, so now I have, I, um, am not so harsh with myself now. Um, when I feel like that, I'm not so critical. I have a bit more compassion for Sunny um, in those moments. And that compassion is reflected directly in my response to the situation. It's really powerful. And so I'm able to express myself in a different way, which I really like. Yeah. It feels a lot better. Yeah. So in your, in that, time of childhood, six to 11-ish years old, um, did you ever get a chance to live with your mom or were you living with your dad the whole time? And I, 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 the, the courts in New York at the time um, would only remove a child from where they were living if they were being physically harmed, mm. um, which I was not being physically harmed. <clears throat> Um, <clears throat> many years later when there was the, the language and understanding of kind of emotional abuse, that would have been the, the label that would have been stuck on that, mm. uh, on that situation. Um, but when I was 12, 11 or 12, I was in fifth grade. Um, my, my mom and my stepdad, uh, won the custody battle, um, after, all of the the adults involved, so my my biological father and my stepmother and my mom and my stepdad. Um, I think everybody went through kind of psychological assessments uh, oh, wow. at that point, five or six years in, whatever it was. Um, and I think the the adults that were in my 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 current home um, were were deemed unfit to 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 be in that position. Um, and so then the court, I guess, felt comfortable enough to, to relocate me. So, uh, so yeah, so in fifth grade, I moved to my, my mom and stepdad's house. It strikes me. I've had a couple of conversations uh, along this line where as kids, we have no choice in where we're born to whom we're born. We're just born and we show up in the midst of drama and relationship challenges and external systems like courts that get involved. And it's somewhat overwhelming because those are such formative years and shape how we think, how we see the world, how we understand ourselves and others. And whew, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, you know, that's part of the reason, uh, for my, my, my dive into these, these fantasy worlds that I could listen to and act out and, you know, embody, uh, and, and heal in a way. 
Would you be willing to share a little bit more about that? I'd love to hear, um, you know, and as you progressed into teenage years and things, I mean, was theater and drama continued part of that? And now as you look back, how do you connect those dots and see the healing part of your journey through those, through that exposure to, to theater and drama? Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, so theater was a part of my life um, from the age of five mm. when I saw my first show, which was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs at Radio City Music Hall. And then the next day we went to Saks Fifth Avenue or something like that, you know, some big department store and we could meet Snow White. So Aww. like, you know, just like incredible. Um, and as a family that never has gone to Disney, you know, that was like <laughs> my, um, you know, I mean, she was like, she was a rock star, yeah. freaking Cinderella, you know, <laughs> you yeah. don't get to meet Cinderella every day. <laughs> um, and I, my mom like put braids in my hair. And so my hair was like all crimped the next day, you know, Aww. super fancy, super fancy. Yeah. There may have been sparkly shoes involved. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. Awesome. Um, and yeah, and so I, I, I listened to, to many shows and, um, kind of lived in those, in those stories for many years. Um, and then when I was in, um, in seventh grade, I had the opportunity to be in a play and to be in a musical. Um, and so I, I was in the music man and, had a chance to, you know, learn some songs and um, learn some blocking and like how to stand on a stage, you know. Um, mm. And 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 then again in eighth grade, had the opportunity to do that. I'm sorry, no, I think it was just I think it was eighth grade. Seventh grade was like choirs and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was a freshman in high school, the music department was incredible at my high school. Um, and they did a musical once a year. And so not really knowing kind of how I fit in, uh, you know, into this new school and this new system, you know, where I'm looking at the, the juniors and seniors around me who were just like amazing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so, I really wanted to kind of understand the system of how it all worked. And so I stage managed. Um, so basically you're at every, every rehearsal and you write down all of the blocking. And so if anybody has a question, they come to you and like, you know, where am I supposed to go? And then when you actually do the show, you're the person who's in charge of calling all the light cues and all the sound cues and making sure that like, really like you're running the show, mm-hmm. which was a big, a big risk for the teachers to take with me as a freshman, not having had done this. Um, but it was a great experience. And then I was in the shows, I think when I was a sophomore, a junior, and then a senior. Um, and then I went on to college and I continued to study theater. I got a, a bachelor of fine arts in acting, um, and, you know, moved to New York, uh, which 
you know, felt like my hometown. I mean, I grew up just a handful of miles away mm. um, and got some headshots done. And I, I waited tables in Times Square um, and never auditioned for anything because I was petrified. Um, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm not somebody who could be like, you know, like walk into a room and people will be like, okay, next, you know, like, I, I can't, I can't do it. I can just, <laughs> I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm not that, I don't have that kind of, um, tough skin. Um, but then I, I started, um, running a theater program at a day camp. Um, and that was really wonderful. And I was like, gosh, like, I'm really just enjoying working with kids. Um, and, I had, I had taught theater a little bit here and there, and I decided to go back to grad school. So I got a Master of Arts in Educational Theater to teach theater grades K through 12. Um, and, you know, I have found a lot of joy in helping children and young adults um, be heard, right? Find their voices, mm-hmm. learn how to be on a stage, learn what that community is like, learn all of the richness and the nuances to it, Mm. Um, you know, and that's been, has been such a joy for me in my life, Um, you know, and the fact that I still uh, speak to, you know, a handful of students and a handful of moms who, whose kids went through my program and um, just had, just really, um, they were really important experiences for those kids. Uh, I think just like, theater was so important for me when I was young and like really, really like it was vital. Yeah. Right. Um, and then being in that field and being able to, to watch kids grow, you know, and I ran my theater program in the summers for about 10 years. And so, you know, I would see kids year after year after year after year come back and, and, you know, watch them go through this metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody, you know, but, but most really just, you know, became so, um, so brave, you know, and so mm-hmm. confident and really, and I remember saying this to my campers, it's like, you know, getting up in front of your peers is one of the hardest things you will ever do in your life. Yes. Straight up. It's like, you're doing that now. Mm-hmm. And you're going into third grade or fourth or fifth <laughs> or sixth or seventh or eighth grade. You're like, you know, that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, you should feel great about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so empowering. You know, so I think that's um, a, a bit of 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 my my theater journey. Um, you know, and then and then you know, I'm fortunate to have two kids who are willing to play along to my my musical theater sing-alongs uh, <laughs> and I, I feel like a slight victory uh, when they, when they request a particular song or a particular musical. I'm like, oh, yes. I bet. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Wait, mama. <laughs> yes. My work here is done. No, it's not done. But <laughs> in that moment. Like, All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, you know, I think the thing that, that runs through all of that in all of those years is the sharing of the story, 
Say more about that. I'm particularly drawn to um, ethnographic theater, theater works, which are based on interviews, newspaper articles, firsthand accounts, things like that. So things that are based in actual experiences and um, and reality, right? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily um, solely is somebody's fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the first shows, one of the first shows that I saw when I was a kid was called A Chorus Line. Um, and I mean, I was six or seven, so I, I, I didn't, I didn't know why I was so drawn to it. Um, apart from the fact that there were like some, some cool, uh, some cool songs in it. And I could, you know, I could dance around the house, uh, you know, put it on the record player and, you know, and dance around. Um, and there were a couple bad words in it that I like, I didn't get in trouble for saying because they were, <laughs> a lyric, you know, <laughs> um, but then, um, I get moving forward, like some of the most profound theater pieces that I've that I've experienced have been ones that are somebody's truth. Mm. Um, and those are the ones that I find just really, really stay in my heart mm. um, the most. And I think it's because it's actually somebody's story. Mm. Yeah. So with the storytelling, I'd love to hear some of, how, how did you develop that because you teach storytelling now, and that is something you have intentionally drilled down into, kept as a focus in your life. How did you, how did you continue keeping a focus on that? What have you done to continue keeping that as a central focus in your life? Um, I think part of what part of what helped that happen um, is the moth. Mm. And the Moth is uh, an organization that's based in New York City, and it is a storytelling organization. And they do events uh, all around the country, all around the U.S. Um, and they have a podcast, and so weekly you can listen to their podcast um, and hear some live stories. Um, my curiosity in learning how to do that better led me to the Moth Teacher Institute, where I took a course in kind of how to support your students and how to teach your students storytelling. Um, and then I've checked out a couple other courses just because I'm curious. Um, and I feel really fortunate that I've been able to share what I've learned uh, with friends and other people who facilitate storytelling workshops um, and also to, to facilitate some storytelling workshops of my own. Um, it's, yeah, I think, I mean, the, the reason why I'm so, so drawn to it is, is helping people share their voice and share their truth mm-hmm. and, and, and creating the safe place for them to do that. Mm is a really important aspect of that work as well. Yes. What, what is something that you would share as an inspiration, right? Cause sometimes it helps to hear someone else's story and it sort of, I, I know I've had it a couple of times where people are like, I don't have a story to tell, but then someone else starts sharing a story and that sparks 
something for someone else. Like, oh, okay. So I'm totally putting you on the spot and asking you, (laughs) what is a story that you can tell us and are willing to tell us that might spark some ideas of storytelling for someone else? Let's see. I mean, I'm thinking about an activity that I was, I was talking about earlier. Um, where basically they're like a whole list of little prompts, right? So, I mean, there, there are ways to help people find their story. There are activities that you can like draw like a wheel and, you know, people that are associated with you and kind of what sort of things that you think about when you think about that person, um, or, or that pet or, you know, whatever it is, um, a story that I shared recently was about snacks um, because here in Italy, we don't have the same snacks that we do in the United States. Um, and something that I really love that is so junky and like, so it's just like the antithesis of how we eat. Like as a fan, like we eat really well, we, eat, you know, home cooked meals, but for some reason, I freaking love Twizzlers. It's like, it's such crap, you know, but it's like the texture is right. Especially if like, if the bag's been open for a while and they get like a little extra hard, like mm-hmm. I, it's so dumb. It's so dumb. So recently um, a, a friend was in the States and she brought back a bag of Twizzlers, Aww. which I proceeded to open and like hide so the children won't remember that we have them in the house so I don't have to share them with them. Definitely understand. I definitely understand. Yes. And there's only, Lisa, there's only two left. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> so, I, you know, that's a, a short little story that I've, um, that I've shared. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, I mean, that's kind of silly, but... Um, the one of the ideas that I really like about storytelling is that when you share a particular kind of story, um, is that you, the teller of the story, have gone through some sort of a change. So you're not the same at the end mm. of your story because of this event, right? mm. because of this thing. Um, and so I'll share a story with you about my love for running. Mm. I think running is just one of the most amazing things, right? You can like, like it literally, like you can go anywhere, you can explore anything like, and, and, and you don't need anything like, and, and probably like we wouldn't necessarily even need shoes to do it. Right. Like if we, <laughs> it's nice to have like the, you know, the cushy, the cushy it shoes, is. but um, you know, and, and watching kids run and kids play and um, like, dogs playing, you know, like just how like a child or a dog will just be like, I have to run, you know, that like that, that isn't like, I love that. I love that. Um, you know, like, and I like, like, you know, like the gear, um, you know, is super fun for running and, um, except, except the thing is that I just don't actually like the running part. I don't like it. I don't. I hate it. <laughs> I really want to like it, right? And 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 my husband Russ runs. He does trail running. And so I remember um before our kids were born, or maybe no, it was right after our son was born. Um it was like like we put the baby in the in the jogger, like in the stroller, yeah. and 
went down to the trail and, you know, ran a little bit. And it was so hard. So hard. Like, my legs got itchy and my, like, I just, I was, like, just so out of breath and, like, oh my gosh, like here, here's my like super fit husband who's like, you know, not winded at all. I'm like, <gasps> you know, I can't breathe. I'm like, oh. But we're doing it together. Right. And I wanted, I want to do it together. And I'm, I'm really grateful that, that he is the kind of person who is not in it, like not in the experience, uh, to, to fuel his own ego. You know, mm-hmm. it's really about having the shared experience and however long or short it is, then that's great. Right. So, um, so then f- fast forward some years, um, and Russ was doing, uh, he had turned 50 and one of his good ter- friends was turning 40 and his friend Mark said, Hey, I want to do this thing. I want to do this thing called the Trans Alp Run, which is basically running through four European countries in eight days, doing seven marathons in those eight days with the elevation of Everest and a half. Insane. Insane. Yes. And so I, you know, so the, the training process for that, even for somebody who's as, as fit as, as Russ is, um, you know, it, it's like a 10 month training program. So that you're really prepared, yeah, which totally makes sense, right? And so there were definitely some days during those trainings where I was like, oh, man, like you know, you'd wake up in the morning and be like, all right, I'm supposed to run for six hours today. Like, I'll see you later. I'm like, oh, but like you're just leaving, and I got like the everything else. Okay, thank you. You know, <laughs> uh, there were definitely some days where I felt like that, um, and yet at the same time, you know, I really wanted to be supportive. Of, of what he was doing. And, and I was, I was, um, it was just hard because I think the hard part was that he was just gone for a big chunk of time. And then when he came home, he needed to recover. So it wasn't like he could just drop mm-hmm. back into like the rhythm of the family. Right. Yeah. So it really, you know, it was like it's most big, of the day. It's a big right? commitment to support our partners or family members who are training for big events like that. And the the supporting partner often gets overlooked, but that's a huge, huge part <laughs> of it. For sure. For sure. Um, and so, so then fast forward and we go to this event, right? And so me and the kids are like ground crew. I've done all the logistics. I've rented all the apartments in the different places so that we have a kitchen so that I can cook them good food so that, you know, that they have what they need uh, to, to feel their best. Mm. while, while they're, they're doing this, uh, this challenge. And, um, so we were there at every start and every finish, Mm. except for one day because they closed the road going into the country and (laughs) I couldn't do anything about it. I had to find another road, you know? So, so with the exception of that, uh, that one time, you know, we were there at every start and at every finish and we cheered for everybody that we saw. Mm. Um, and watching people cross the finish line, because the way that this particular race is set up is that you can't finish more than like a minute or two apart, right? So, I mean, wow. really, you're, you're encouraged, you know, you, you stay with your partners. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and most of the partners cross the finish line together. Mm. And just 
you know, and I don't know what sorts of challenges they've been through, you know, during the course of the day, what sort of physical challenges, what sort of emotional challenges, what, you know, um, but feeling their emotions as they crossed the line every day and as they started in the mornings was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. I was like, oh, my, like what an incredible community of people. Everybody is there supporting each other, you know, and, and wanting nothing but the best for each other. Um, you know, and they're the, the people that are like insanely fast that, you know, would finish in a couple hours and, you know, they're like of a, of a different level. Yeah. And I'm sure they wanted everybody to do well as well, you know, but they were kind of had a different motivation than like mm-hmm. meeting, meeting people on the trail and having conversations and, you know, just sharing in the beauty and the splendor of the sun, the rain, the snow, you know, and these beautiful vistas in the Alps. Um, and so after that experience, after watching that and, and feeling that, um, you know, and, and each morning we would see people, you know, getting taped up or, mm. you know, we saw people's, you know, toenails that had come off. Like, you know, I mean, like just yeah, it can be rough. It's hard. It's hard on your body. Um, and, and still they, they continued. Mm. Right. Um, and if somebody couldn't continue, then there was, you know, maybe the possibility for somebody to find another partner whose Mm. partner couldn't continue as well. Right. So that, Mm -hmm. um, and after that, after being there and being a part of this energy, um, I became, convinced and that I wanted to do it as well. Mm. Not a runner, <laughs> but wanted to, to, um, to try, you know? And so there are, there are two different versions of this race. There's a two day option and then an eight day option. Oh. So you can go in and just do the first two days. And so that's what, uh, we thought. Okay. I think we're okay. Um, so I thought to do sign up for the two day event. Um, and then there was COVID and here in Italy, you know, we were on lockdown for many, many months. Um, so like even the possibility of going out to do a training run was, was not a possibility at all. We could do squats in our house, you know, or something like that, but run up and down the stairs, but we, you know, we really couldn't do anything more than that. And so that, that year kind of came and went. Uh, and I, and I don't think they actually did the race that year because of COVID. Um, and then fast forward to last year, 2021. Um, it's just around the time of year to, to start training. Um, and I have this ridiculous bike accident and I break my leg. Mm. So that last year was out. Um, I've just gotten the metal taken out of my leg and we'll do some physical therapy once I start walking better, et cetera. Um, I literally haven't run in a year. Um, and I'm really hopeful to try. Um, I'm 48 this year, so I'm hoping that it would, it would be nice when I'm 49 to do the two day and when I'm 50 to do the, the full eight day. Um, and I believe 
that the the last year of the race is coming up, and I'm not sure if it's next year or the year after. Um, whichever year it is, it ends in the town that we live in. Oh wow! Which I think would be really really cool. That would to be like amazing. Do it and then end in like be like oh and I'm home. That's How cool fantastic. You know. <laughs> so so I guess you know I'm I'm looking forward to being able to start that journey. Mm. Um, and in that process, I'm hoping to find um, that clarity um, and the, the, that thing that runners have that, that helps them run, right? Mm. <clears throat> that, that feeling, whatever that feeling is, mm. um, I would love to experience that. Mm. Um, and I think... A large portion of that will just happen because of the the, you know, the bathing in nature, um, and and just being amongst the trees and and the leaves and the breeze and the sounds and the amazing mountains. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is a goal. I'm I'm struck by going from that place of I'm not a runner to I want to run. This really challenging. <laughs> race. And I love it. And I want to, I want to ask you about this, Sunny, because things like this really resonate for me because I, I love to challenge myself and I've, um, I've been drawn to those races. Like you start talking to me about that and I'm like, I want to do that too. And then, you know, thinking about this theme of making life less difficult, it's interesting because there's, there is something about challenging ourselves physically sometimes that even though the challenge is there and sort of in the immediate sense, it might be increasing the challenge. Um, but how would you bring it back? Training for this, having this as a goal, how does this make life less difficult? Hmm. Well, I think, I think that it's really important for my children to see resilience hmm. um, and and to and to be a part of this process also mm. right i mean they were here when i broke my leg and they were here to help me when i was on the couch and i couldn't move um and they've been here to help carry things or like bring me some water or something um to the point where i'm walking again to now going back into the hospital now kind of you know re um you know, they're, they're a part of this entire process. Mm. Um, and they've been amazing. They've been such amazing little care, caregiver, caregivers. Um, and I think that it's important for them to see me get strong again mm. and to be able to do the things that I was doing and that I wanted to do. Mm. Um, because I'm just, because I've broken my leg, I'm not defeated, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, yep. uh, is a setback for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but my hope is to, to come back stronger, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's, I think it's a good lesson for me. I think it's a, a good lesson for my kids, but I think to, for them to see that and be a part of that experience firsthand, I think is really important. Yeah, I like that. Um, and so if that helps myself or more importantly, them in some way in the future, when they have a really, difficult thing that happens like oh 
and maybe they'll remember this story and this journey. Mm-hmm. And that will in turn help them find yeah. some strength. Mm-hmm. Yes, because that's sort of what life is, a series of things that happen unexpectedly and can feel like a setback and a challenge and an obstacle. And then, okay, well, then the next question is, how do we respond to that? Do we let it defeat us or do we push through and say, okay, this is not what I had planned, but this is what's here in front of me. And so. B or C or D or Z or whatever exactly. it is. Exactly. Yeah. Right. What's, what's, there's some, some quote and so basically like, it's, it's not how you fall, but it's how you pick yourself back up. Mm, yep. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm curious. So here I'm going to toss something out to you and see how it lands with your experience acting and performing Mm -hmm. and your search for this runner's high or whatever it is. um, This might be, this might be discouraging for you to hear. I have, I have a love hate relationship with running that continues. It doesn't matter how long I've run. Um, I have to push myself every single time. And I'm kind of like, ah, I hate this. But when I was my most memorable time of shifting that and kind of taking on the performance perspective, I was training for an Ironman and, and my coach said, look, the thing you've got to watch out for is those negative thoughts that come along. And so when they do, you know, here are some things to shift your mindset. And I remember distinctly on the run, it was a, it was a hard run. There were lots of long gradual Hills and it was twice around this 12 mile loop. And so I knew the first time you're going through and I'm like, oh, this is a long long, miserable hill. And I'm going to have to hit it again at mile 21. How am I going to do that? And I remember catching myself like, I love running up hills. (laughs) I love love these hills. Aren't they great? And I started saying it out loud to people around me who looked at me like I had just lost it and was completely crazy, but it makes me think of the acting and that there's sometimes in, in, and this could be applied to life in different ways, but even in the running where it's almost like you have to pretend and, and see if it creates it, right. Because it actually did it, it still to this day when I can shift into that positive mindset and it does feel a little bit like acting. Uh, So I don't know, how does that land of how do we bring acting and running together and life and (laughs) Fake it till you make it. <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit of that. Right? Like, <laughs> um, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things about acting in particular and um, not being a runner in particular um, is that it's it's a role that you get to try on, mm. right? And so why not? Mm. Why not? Yeah. If you're prepared, if you know your lines and you know you're blocking, um, or if you're prepared, you've trained, play the role, see how it feels. Mm. And when you're done, you'll know that you've done, you've done the best you can, mm. even if it doesn't go as well as you want. Absolutely. Right? We, I'm, I firmly believe that many of us, um, we do the best in each moment that we can do in that moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's, and the best that we can do is often imperfect and that's okay. Totally. It's totally fine. 
the fact that you showed up is like, is, is it, is just, is huge in and of itself. Yeah. I, I have one, one thing that I am going to push back on, on what I'm hearing you say. And the fact that you, this is a, this is a current active goal for you to run this race across the Alps. I really think you need to start calling yourself a runner, whether you feel like a runner or not. The fact that you've set this as a goal for yourself, Sunny, it's time to say, I am a runner and I have this goal and I may hate running, but I am a runner. Hello? Hello, Sunny. Are you a runner? Uh, maybe. We'll have, we'll have to get back to Lisa on that one. Well, <laughs> it's a great problem. Y'all who are listening can't see this fantastic um, phone prop. Old-fashioned phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Old-fashioned receiver. (laughs) Um, I'll sleep on it. Okay. It's a deal. And I will. um, Perhaps perhaps I'll um, offer it to you as well, since you have a, as you said, a love hate relationship with running. Perhaps you can call yourself a runner too. Mm-hmm. As a, a runner who hates to get started, always feels good at the end. It's that afterwards that I'm like, ah, oh, it feels so good. So it's sort <laughs> of the, the remembering how it ends before you start. That's, that's the biggest challenge for me. <laughs> Just give yourself a call. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Sunny, before we close out our conversation, I'm, I'd love to hear what is top of mind for you from sort of storytelling, um, what's the word, strategies perhaps that can help just everyday, I hate the word ordinary because I think everybody is extraordinary in their own ways, but just everyday, ordinary, extraordinary, ordinary people. <laughs> Who might say to themselves, I don't have stories to tell. I don't know how to tell stories. What is top of your mind as a storytelling teacher and facilitator, things that can help people kind of just test out the waters a little bit and experiment with storytelling in their own lives? Totally. That's a great question. I think the the first thing, the first thing that, that pops into my head is, um, I encourage people to think about the stories that they share with people. Like I know that I have like, I have a handful of stories that I've shared a bunch of times, mm-hmm. share the story of how I met my husband and how we got married, share the story of how we ended up in Italy. Um, you know, there, there are stories that, that come up that you share more than once. Mm-hmm. And so just start, just take a look at those. I mean, those are stories that you already share, right? And there, there's there's a reason why they keep coming up. Mm. So you know, when you're at a whatever at a, at an event or at a, a a sporting event or a cocktail party or whatever it is, and you're meeting somebody and you're chit chatting uh, with somebody new, what are those stories that come up? Mm. Um, so that that's the first thing that I would encourage people to to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, I would encourage people to take a look at the people around them or the pets around them. Mm. Um, there are many 
experiences that we have with with the the living beings in our worlds um um plants animals humans Mm -hmm. um like i know for me that i'm I'm not allowed to touch the plants because (laughs) i will inadvertently kill them um (laughs) you know (laughs) so many like years and years and years of failed attempts of loving them too hard and giving them too much water. And then they're like, oh, you drowned me. You know, so now I'm <laughs> under strict supervision. I can participate in the plant's lives, but in general, <laughs> I'm not allowed to. <laughs> um, you know, thinking, um, encouraging people to, to think back on those, on those things that made them laugh. Mm hard or made them cry so hard or made them so filled with x emotion right mm-hmm. um the the moment when we were making limoncello and we had a puppy and one of the lemon leaves fell on the floor uh that had been soaked in grain alcohol mm-hmm. um which was swiftly consumed by said four-legged puppy <laughs> um and and then he i i, I thought we killed the dog because he ended up like passed out on the floor. Um, oh. We, we, after some, after some investigation, checking for a pulse, seeing if he was breathing, we just realized he just got really, really drunk and just literally like passed out. But I was like, Oh my God, we can never have kids. You know, we just killed the dog. Um, you know, so like thinking back to those moments because each story is about like a three second moment, mm. right? It doesn't have to be this, story that's 11 years long it doesn't have to be this story like my running journey is really long the um custody battle when I was a kid was really really long you know and this one moment of the dog eating the leaf right so I mean I think in general asking people to just think about those small moments Mm. and going through your day thinking about what are some of those things that that happened to us Mm. Yeah. Right. Because our our stories don't have to be extraordinary to be valid. Our stories are our truth, and in whatever form that takes. Well, it makes me think about we tell stories all the time, right? We call up a family member or friend, and let me tell you what happened to me today. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the the most important part about them is sharing them. Mm. What is it that makes it so powerful? about telling stories. I mean, I think as homo sapiens sapiens, it's what we've been doing. I mean, it's what we do around a campfire. It's what we have put on cave walls. Um, Stories have been the basis of celebrations um, for Greek gods and goddesses and Roman gods and goddesses. You know, I mean, really as far back as we can document humanity as we know it, stories are involved it's how we share knowledge it's how we share you know the the knowledge of what seeds to plant where so that our tribe can eat it's sharing the stories of um how to make the tool to have a successful hunt right i mean i mean it's really it's it it's that it's how we share information Mm. and it's how we understand each other better Mm. um and that is something that I, I I don't know what other species of animals share story. 
Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's something that's, um, it's in our DNA, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's how we are understood and how we can understand. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's really powerful. Just even that, how we're understood and how we understand that phrase, even in and of itself is just like, oh, wow, that is powerful. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for sharing some of your stories and your wisdom and learnings from over the years. Mm, Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. And your goals. We're going to have to check back in after your race. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing, Sunny. It's been really lovely. Likewise. Likewise. An absolute pleasure.